It's Mike McEntee. Congratulations. You have survived another week of the Trump administration. Uh, Lots of lots of breaking news today. Governor Mark Dayton here has not one but 117 reasons to be upset with the bills the House Republicans have given to him. We're going to talk about the showdown that is looming this weekend as the Minnesota legislature heads into its final days. Also, a show about suicide starts its second season on Netflix today. And the Minnesota mental health advocates say they're concerned it could spur some teens to kill themselves. We'll hear from one of those advocates. But leading the news today, another deadly school shooting. This time in Texas, a gunman opened fire at the beginning of the school day at a high school in Santa Fe, Texas, near Houston. The suspect, a 17-year-old student, has been taken into custody. The shooting is sure to put more pressure on states and the federal government to do something about this. Joining us to talk about that and the other headlines in the day's news is Ellen Ratner from Talk media news hi ellen welcome to the show well thank you so much you know it's interesting the millennials are not exactly active but the generation z which is what is after the millennials the kids that are in high school and now in college a little bit uh, they are very active and they're very active on the shooting issue yeah we've seen that here in minnesota where there's been marches on capitol and uh you know literally thousands of students from high school showing up to take action and promise that once they become voting age that they're going to take they're going to take action themselves uh president donald trump today uh he was talking about action that's again maybe another flip-flop from where he's been on this well that's right i mean i think that he's obviously succumbing to some pressure that is coming from people who are very concerned about this. And it's not just, I mean, Texas is a red state, so it's not just the blue states that are beginning to pressure him. Florida was pretty much of a red state as well. And so you now have people from some of these cities and states that are quote-unquote red that are beginning to pressure the administration to do something to make sure that, I guess this was an AR-15 or something, I don't know anything about guns and don't wish to, but I know that there is some real question about the kind of weapons that were used and also the gun show loophole, which doesn't allow, doesn't make for people, doesn't allow, it doesn't make for people to have to get a, 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 you know, a a, a viewpoint that they're licensed to, to buy a gun. They can go to a gun show and buy a gun, which people think is the gun show loophole. Trump today said that we are going to do everything we can to keep weapons out of the hands of those who pose a threat to themselves and to others. This is this is something he said really kind of after the last shooting in Florida, but then he backed away from it. Is, uh, is, is the NRA going to show up and whisper in his ear again and he'll reverse himself by the time we get to Monday? Well, I don't know. I mean, the NRA actually came, as you know, to the White House last time and uh, now the NRA has a big, well-known member as president, uh, and Wayne LaPierre is no longer the president of, of the NRA. I don't know that he ever actually was, but he was the face of it. And so I think, look, uh, the president is going to be under a lot of pressure from both sides. Uh, are we? What's the reaction that we're getting from Congress? I mean, this is Ted Cruz's state. Uh, has he said anything about well, this? Well, again, has he spoken it up? depends where you are and who is your representative and who's your senator. Uh, Ted Cruz, so far, as far as I know now, that I may be wrong because, you know, it's hard to keep up with the news. It happens every other second. But as far as I know, the senators from Texas have not said anything. Uh, mm. And so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, one of the things the, uh, the the House is focusing on is the farm bill. And there is all sorts of politics around this. It failed today, and it's a division within the Republican Party that deep-sixed it because of immigration is what I understand. What do you know about this? Well, so what we know is that there was to be an immigration vote uh, on this, and uh, many Republicans, very conservative Republicans, actually aligned with the Democrats uh, because they wanted this immigration vote. They obviously have a very different view than the Democrats, and it was attached to the Farm Bill. The Farm Bill was not a clean Farm Bill, and places like Minnesota, et cetera, deserve a clean Farm Bill. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. My guess is that they will get a clean Farm Bill eventually, but it may take eight or ten weeks. Now, when you say clean Farm Bill, one of the provisions in this is that it was going to impose strict new work requirements on people who got federal food aid. 
which is, you know, SNAP and, you know, those types of programs, that which is part of the federal farm subsidies. That's why, you know, that food aid is available because we subsidize the farmers and we pay for those kinds of things. You're thinking that's going to disappear and there will be a vote on something well, that doesn't have that? Well, I think it will depend on the lobbying by places like Minnesota, which is very farm dependent, places like Iowa, places like Nebraska, you know, the sort of middle of the country and what the various members get from their constituents. That's what will make it a clean or not clean bill. Hmm. Another thing, uh, Congress, uh, well, actually, not Congress, the Trump administration put out today, or or at least is in the process of doing so, is a new rule on abortion funding. It's actually kind of a uh, an old rule, and it could it's really make it more rule. difficult. That's correct. Yeah, tell tell me about tell me what what's going on with this. So basically, it was aimed at Planned Parenthood. Now, Planned Parenthood does a lot of female, uh, just general health issues. And so what they're now saying is two things. One, that they cannot be under the same roof. So there was this fine line of not using abortion money for health, for Planned Parenthood, for abortions. Okay, fine, you don't want to do that, great. But now they're saying they can't be under the same roof, and if a woman comes in pregnant for counseling, they cannot refer her to an abortion provider or even discuss it. That is a gag rule, and I don't know that that will hold up in the Supreme Court because that's an issue of free speech. And we should be, you know, I think reiterate to people that the federal money that Planned Parenthood does get is by law can't be used on abortion. So it seems like this is just really, really trying to uh, just drive Planned Parenthood right out of business is the whole idea here. Well, that's right. I mean, if you have a clinic and half the clinic is, or part of the clinic, you know, a couple rooms is an abortion and the rest of it is just plain old women's health, and you're using the same building, this bill says you can't even use the same building. Well, how do you prevent somebody from renting an office somewhere or renting a place that can be used both as, as a surgical facility, as a health facility, etc.? I don't know that you can. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out in the courts. Now, uh, one thing that's the backdrop to everything that's going on in Washington, and we this has been the case for a year now, is the uh, the Mueller probe into Russia and the uh, the possible meddling into the U.S. elections. We passed the uh, the one year anniversary here this week, and uh, I believe today it was yesterday. Uh, or was it yesterday? Yesterday. And I believe that uh, Rudy Giuliani, Trump's lawyer, is uh, now negotiating, it sounds like, with uh, Mueller to, you know, do the potential interview with Trump. And they've got maybe some progress on that. What What do we know about what's happening with the well, probe? Well, what, what they're saying now is that instead of many issues, that they will limit it to two issues maximum. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because the House and the Senate have two different views of Russian meddling. The House says no meddling. The Senate says yes. So we don't know what that means. So two two issues. Do we know what those issues are, or do we know what what these categories are? I mean, it, it's it, 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 have we gotten any more information about where where no, this? No, we uh, haven't gotten the details. We don't have okay. the details yet, but that doesn't mean <laughs> we won't get them. But we do know that Rudy Giuliani is a very hard negotiator, and he's negotiating on behalf of the president. Yeah. Um, all other stuff that's going on in Washington, we have uh, we've had a vacancy over in the uh, Veterans Administration here uh, for a while. Uh, Trump's doctor was supposed to be the guy who was going to fill that, and then that all fell apart when we found out that he was, you know, handing out drugs like candy. Apparently, we now know who might be the next nominee. What do we know, and who is it? Well, we know that Robert Wilkie is, I believe, his name uh, to be. He's the nominee for Secretary of Veterans Affairs. He's not a physician. But he has had a lot of administrative experience. Uh, he uh, basically had worked for uh, uh, a former senator, Tom Tillis. Well, actually, he may be. A, yes, I think he's a former senator uh, of North Carolina. Uh, and then he went to the Pentagon. He was also in the administration of George Bush. And he went to the Pentagon. Uh, and uh, in the Pentagon, he was the undersecretary for personnel and readiness. So personnel is a huge amount of people, obviously. And mm-hmm. so uh, they feel that he could manage something as, you know, it's the second largest group is the Pentagon. 
I mean, is the Veterans Affairs Hospitals. And so it's not the Pentagon, but it's very, it's, it's a large organization, and they feel that he has had experience in large organizations. And the prospects for him getting through, uh, getting uh, in, you know, the the okay from Congress, uh, I mean, from the Senate, that's uh, probably a given unless there's something in his past that we don't know. Right. Uh, my guess is that he's going to get through. And I okay. think that Donald Trump nominated somebody he knew would get through. All right. And then uh, I want to ask you about your weekend plans. Are you planning to get up at the crack of uh, 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. to watch the royal wedding? Or, or are you like me and just I am really don't actually, care? actually. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've never seen every, every royal wedding. So uh, they, they're putting on TV at six Eastern, which is five a.m. your time. Yeah, and I've I've never seen. I mean, there's so much going on with this uh, that is non-traditional. The whole um, British British people trying to say we're not racist, and then there's people who in Britain who are all upset about this. I mean, this is very much viewed in uh, in England, kind of like we viewed uh, President Obama becoming president here. It's supposed to be sort of a a moment where we get past racism, where we you know suddenly somebody who is biracial is going to be part of the royal family. That that seems like a big deal. Well, it is a big deal, and uh, of course, originally her mother was slated, well, her father was slated to walk her down the aisle. Then, of course, there was this issue of these photographs that were supposedly set up and taken, but then he had a heart attack, so he was in the hospital. So then there was the talk of whether her mother would walk her down the aisle, and now what we know is that uh, that her father-in-law, her new father-in-law, is going to meet her halfway down the aisle and walk her down the aisle. Wow. Well, uh, you'll be up at the crack of dawn. I will be sleeping in, <laughs> and I'll watch it on the okay. replay on well, YouTube you watch, or something. You can. You, I'm sure the internet will have. You know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm looking at a cousin of mine who died in 1995. Boxes. She left lots of boxes, and she saved every article that she had ever used to f- make her articles that she wrote. Well, now we have the internet. We don't do things like that. But in those days, you did. So, uh, in those days, you got up and you watched things. Now all you have to do is rewatch it on the internet. I, I hate to think what they're going to find when they dig through my house after I die, because there is so much junk pushed away just like that. So, ah, well, thanks, thanks for bringing up that pleasant thought. <laughs> Ellen Ratner from Talk Media News. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is Dan Brooks, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with RBC Wealth Management. For the past 19 years, I've been managing wealth for individuals, institutions, and corporate retirement plan sponsors. Throughout my career, I've seen common traits in successful investors. They include the courage to be diversified, the willingness to work with a professional, the discipline to follow a plan, and patience. I welcome the opportunity to help contribute to your financial success. Call me at 612-371-2396. Would you or your organization like to become better storytellers? The Uptake can help. Learn from the best teachers in Minnesota when it comes to writing, photography, audio documentary, or live video streaming. I'm personally teaching the live video classes. We're offering classes on Saturdays in June. There's a charge, but there's a discount for students and low-income people. Space is limited, so register now at theuptake.org slash classes. That's theuptake.org slash classes and learn to storytell like a pro. Jeff Warner here inviting you to Grill Expo this weekend at Warner Stellion Stores. We're firing up America's best-selling gas, charcoal, and pellet grills so you can watch them in action, enjoy some mouth-watering samples, and choose the grill that's perfect for you. Warner Stellion has the lowest prices of the year, plus free assembly, free delivery, free recycling, 18 months zero-interest financing, and three free products from no-name butcher-quality meats and seafood. It's Grill Expo this Saturday and Sunday at all nine Warner Stellion Stores. Burger Moe's is the perfect neighborhood gathering spot before and after Excel Center events or anytime. Moe is serious about burgers, offering 20 fresh, never frozen varieties. Burger Moe's also offers delicious appetizers, soups, salads, as well as unburgers, dogs, paninis, shakes, and desserts. Not to mention more than 60 beers on tap and happy hours twice daily. Burger Moe's is located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul with plenty of free parking and online at BurgerMoe's.com. Stages Theatre Company is dedicated to creating a space where diverse opinions, courageous dialogue, and 
community engagement is not only valued, but vital to our shared artistic and educational success. Stages Theatre Company creates a welcoming home for all. For over 30 years, Stages has supported quality theater programming for children. Stages gives opportunities for youth to be on stage, backstage, in the audience, and in the classroom. Whether you come to see a show, enroll a young person in a workshop, or benefit from their outreach programs in the community, Stages brings art to life. Learn about Stages Theater by going to stagestheater.org and become part of the magic of live theater by taking your family to an amazing show or enrolling someone you love in an education program. Stages Theater Company operates out of the Hopkins Center for the Arts, located in Main Street in the heart of downtown Hopkins. For more information on Stages Theater, go to stagestheater.org. That's stagestheater.org. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Welcome back to the Mike McAtee Show. We think we got pretty good medical care in this country, but... For example, when tennis pro Serena Williams became a first-time mother last September, she almost lost her life. Statistics show that black women are more than three times as likely as their white counterparts to die during pregnancy or childbirth. And Williams thinks one of the reasons is that many doctors don't take the concerns of black women seriously. Is racism the cause of high infant mortality and maternal mortality rates among blacks? Uh, Daniel Solomon is the Senior Director of Progress 2050 at the Center for American Progress and has been reviewing the research on this issue. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Good to have you on here. So what does research show about uh, maternal and infant mortality rates? Uh, What improves them and what makes them go down? Thank you for that question. Um, the paper that I recently published uh, kind of looks at the growing body of research around this um, epidemic, really this stark contrast between white and black maternal and infant mortality. And basically what the research is showing us is that even when you control for a number of protective factors, things like education levels, income levels, access to health care, black women and infants born to black women are still dying at astronomically high rates in comparison to white women. So it's not so much that you can actually control for these things, just increasing your income or having high levels of education does not necessarily yield better outcomes for black women. What the research is showing over and over again is the one consistent factor that we see uh, driving this is something that I kind of deemed as like um, the evergreen toxin known as racism. Um, Racism is playing a a pivotal role in the the high rates of death in this population. It's the only one consistent factor I have been able to see transcend um, and continue to uh, show up in the data and research. Part of that comes from the level of stress that we're seeing black women hold over their lifetimes from just constant interactions of racism on their day-to-day lives and what that actually yields in their overall health. And then that, that transfers into the overall health of their infant. So, okay, so let's, let's back up through a couple of these things. Education, you say, doesn't improve, doesn't change things. Income doesn't change things. Healthcare, though, you would think that healthcare, though, would somehow change the outcomes. Why is that not uh, the factor that's uh, making a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So first and foremost, overall, we know that access to quality and affordable health care is critical. We know that with the passage of ACA, that increased the number of African Americans and all Americans, quite frankly, um, 
of accessing and having having coverage. But having coverage is also not enough. The quality of healthcare is really important. And unfortunately, you mentioned um, earlier the Serena Williams story. Unfortunately, what we also hear from a number of black women is that the quality of care that they're receiving is not that great for them. Their experience is not um, up to par with where it should be. Uh, time and time again, we hear from black women talking about their experiences being negative or not feeling like they've been listened to. And that, again, not only um, is not helpful in assessing the actual health of the mother, but it's also a stress uh, increaser, right? Like if you are pregnant and you're at your doctor saying something is wrong and they're not listening to you, that adds to your stress level. Um, it also fails to address the underlying issues that you might be having. And so even when you are a Serena Williams where you have access to amazing care, you have plenty of money, um, doctors still were not listening to her. And un- until she actually fully advocated for herself and said, listen, I, ha- you know, I know my body, I know these things go on, I know I'm susceptible to blood clots, somebody needs to look at this, they would not have done it. And I, I think that's telling. Do we know why doctors don't listen to black women? I mean, it seems like, a, I mean, is that the only group that has problems with doctors not listening to them? Um, I wouldn't, I mean, I can't speak to whether or not it's the only group, but I can say when you're, when the research is showing that when you talk to black women about their experiences in the medical field, it isn't always positive. Um, we also know that the African American community has not always had a positive interaction with the healthcare community. There's a long history of abuse um, within the healthcare industry and African Americans. So some of that is African Americans are less trustworthy because they have been used before, um, but it's also um, a reflection of knowing that the medical field has not always believed African Americans. We see that in pain management, for example. Um, African Americans are less likely to get um, access to the level of pain medications because people think that African Americans are more likely to withstand uh, pain. They can withstand more pain, which is not True, right? Um, But that is something that we see over and over again um, when you're talking to them and medical professionals about how and when they prescribe. So I can't speak to all groups, but I can say that when you're talking to black women, when you're talking to the African-American community, there is a gap between the quality of care they're receiving and and their counterparts. Let's go. Let me dig into two things you said there that are interesting. Because number one, the myth of uh, black people being able to withstand more pain. I, I, I mean, why why does that persist within med? And I'm, maybe you're not the person to answer this, but I'm just saying. I'm just thinking, why does that exist um, amongst the medical community? And then also explain why black people feel like they've been used by the medical community in the past. Because I don't think most people or a lot of folks who are listening to the show uh, are in tune with that. Sure. So one great example of that, um, unfortunately, is the Tuskegee experiment. So this was the horrible experiment that the United States government actually okayed um, for the government to basically inject syphilis into a number of African-American men to perform experiments. So again, um, this is not, and, and that wasn't that long ago. I want to say it was probably in the 60s or 70s when this happened, and you'll have to forgive me. Um, I, I don't remember the exact time period, but it's not that far away is my point, right? Like, it's not that far removed from the current day. And so the African-American community is very well aware of the history of, um, you know, how our bodies have been used and abused uh, with the healthcare. um Community. The other famous story is the Henrietta Lacks um, story, which recently just there was a HBO, I think, movie around this where Henrietta Lacks had a unique cell. uh, And again, I'm not a physician, so forgive me if I'm not using the proper terminology, but she basically had a unique DNA strain. And, um, you know, Johns Hopkins, who's been very open and honest about trying to remedy the wrong that they, you know, uh, did, um, they have been very open and honest about trying to remedy that wrong. But again, it still occurred where they basically mined her, her body to create some of the the baseline for drugs that all Americans and people all around the world now use to prevent disease, which is a wonderful gift of her, but the, the government and uh, physicians didn't necessarily start from a place of good in doing that, but instead just really mined 
the woman, a black woman's body um, to benefit others. Um, and so, again, these are all things that happened not that long ago um, that are still very much in the minds of African Americans. And so I think when health professionals are interacting with that population, they should be cognizant of that history. Um, and, and be able to be more responsive to maybe a, um, a sense of fear, maybe a sense of not being able to say everything they may want to and making the environment more comfortable, but then also being very aware and knowledgeable about the fact that when black women are saying something is wrong, they should be listened to um, and figure out what that issue is. And I think NPR, um, NPR actually did a study with ProPublica where they talked to over 200 black mothers not too long ago um, to get their, you know, qualitative analysis around their experiences and interactions with healthcare professionals. And the constant theme that they heard from black women um, was being devalued or disrespected by medical professionals. And that's not a good thing, right? So my hope is that medical professionals will see this, see this stark divide, see how black women are feeling, and make a, a change that's actually um, helpful to not only closing this gap, which should be the goal of everyone, right, but also just to improve the actual profession and how it interacts with this very important population. All right. We've been speaking with Danielle Solomon. She is with the Center for American Progress and has been doing research on the infant mortality and maternal mortality problems that uh, black women are experiencing at a higher rate than anybody else. Danielle, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Have a great day. Coming up here next on the Mike McEntee Show, a show about teen suicide that has a lot of people concerned. We'll talk to a professional about it next. Heartbeat for the week. I'm Lori Fitz from Connections Radio Show, and today I'm suggesting you go to the fantastic Northeast Minneapolis Art of World running this weekend, May 18th through the 20th. This is supported by the Northeast Minneapolis Art Association, NEMA. You can view artwork of over 650 artists in every medium at more than 50 locations throughout the Northeast Minneapolis, including studio buildings, art galleries, homes, storefronts, and local businesses. The artists' open studio tours may include demonstrations, mini workshops, installations, special exhibitions. Studio tours give a great opportunity to ask questions, discuss techniques, experience art firsthand, and purchase unique artwork directly from the artists. Art World gives you that unique opportunity that you can't get many other places. This year, you have a special opportunity to navigate your Art World with the NEMA app, N-E-M-A-A. You can use the NEMA app to help you find everything you need to make the most of your experience. You can download it either on Google Play or the Apple app. On the app, you can navigate looking up by the artist, the medium, or the studio. When I looked at the app and downloaded it, I could not believe how many different types of art you can see at Art World. Here are just a few of the listings. Clay, dance, digital, drawing, fiber, furniture, glass, graphic design, jewelry, literary arts, metal, mixed media, multimedia, music, painting, performance art, photography, printmaking, sculpture, textile, and more. There is art for everyone and at a price point anyone can afford. So download the NEMA app and have fun exploring Art World. Or for more information, you can go online to nemaa.org. That's nema.org. That's Art Beat for the Week. I'm Lori Fitz from Connections Radio Show, airing live Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hey, Minnesota, this is David Pakman, and you can catch my show weeknights at 9 for an in-depth look at politics and current events on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. 
At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Atheists Talk is the radio show for free-thinking Minnesotans. Listen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Every Sunday we bring you science, philosophy, politics, and plain old fun from an atheist point of view. Visit our website at minnesotaatheists.org for more details. Tune in to Atheists Talk Radio Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's good radio without the good book. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. It's a fictional drama TV show called 13 Reasons Why. You may have heard of it not only because a 17-year-old girl who lives with undiagnosed depression dies by suicide in the show, but also because of the influence it may be having on teens who watch the show. The show is about to launch its second season on Netflix, and unlike the first season, the second season has a warning video that precedes each episode. Despite the warning... Minnesota mental health advocates are concerned. Joining us is Kat Ganji. She is the Health and Wellness Programs Coordinator at NAMI, the National Association on Mental Illness, Minnesota. Kat, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Good to have you on here. So, I have not seen this show other than the thumbnail description I just uh, I just read. So, tell me what the show is about and what's wrong with that. Sure. So 13 Reasons Why was developed about a year ago, and it's a Netflix series. It's really focusing on this teenage girl who uh, creates cassette tapes, about 13 of them, blaming 13 individuals for events that led up to her dying by suicide. Um, So it really depicted this um, picture of uh, unrealistic kind of expectations and what it would be like for someone who may be struggling with depression. Um, even though they don't mention that it's um, depression that she's living with. So there's just really big concerns on safe messaging and what was appropriate to be shown and are the right resources kind of being supported with that. Um, So that was our biggest concern was how um, graphic and how much information was shown, but also um, making sure that teens know um, what is it like in real life living with a mental illness and where they can go to get support and resources and that they wouldn't get turned away. Okay, and you said what the show was showing here was unrealistic. Was it, uh, I mean, obviously it's a drama. Was it uh, kind of glorifying or making this sound like a, a great thing for somebody to do? Is that the concern here? Yeah, so in the show, they actually, like, do this big memorial and kind of put a lot of emphasis on after someone would die by suicide, which is really unsafe because it kind of um, can show a different perspective on what that would look like. Um, off of that, they show in this series that if you go to the guidance counselor that they won't help you and all of these things that are happening that are very traumatic outside of even just mental illness, um, they're constantly getting brushed aside and that there isn't support there. And so that was one of our biggest things is letting people know that you can reach out, you can have this conversation. I I mean, I know every case is separate and individual, but why would somebody contemplate ending their lives, and why would watching this uh, possibly uh, push them towards that? So that is a great question. So one of the concerns is that it's where they're glorifying suicide, so they're making it look like this is something that they're, oh, everyone is going to do all these big things for me, and um, an individual who might be suicidal, um, it's a short period of time that they're in crisis, so they wouldn't necessarily take the time 
to record all of these cassette tapes that kind of put, puts blame on other people. And that's another concern there is lost survivors. So people who've lost someone they love to suicide feel a lot of guilt and shame put on there. And maybe they didn't recognize the signs. They didn't know what to do or what resources were available. So we don't want to put any guilt on anyone for something that happened. It's really about making sure that if you are feeling suicidal or having some idolizations, it's really making sure that you know that there are people who care about you and that this is something that you might be going through right now, but we can get you connected and treatment really works. Now, as we mentioned, the second season of the show uh, starts uh, Friday on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, this time the series is going to have uh, a warning video in front of it. Um, what's the warning video saying and, and why isn't it enough uh, for what's there? So it's a very short, like one minute or so clip, and it has the actors talking about who they are and the roles that they play. And they kind of put a preface of, um, these are some serious topics, watch it with a trusted adult. There's um, a a link called Mm 13reasonswhy.info, where they have different resources for parents um, to kind of go and identify where to go for these different topics. But it doesn't um, really make sure that it's safe. The first one that came out, there was no warning signs on these issues. which becomes a big deal because if you are um, feeling suicidal or whatnot, this show could really push you in the other direction, and we want to make sure that people stay safe. Hmm. So if, I mean, it sounds like if I have kids, maybe they shouldn't be watching the show, or should we be watching the show with the parents and talking about this types of stuff? Is it a learning opportunity, or is it, is it just a threat? Um, that's a great question. We really advocate for parents to take the time to watch the Netflix series show by themselves first. So they know what um, content is being shown, how graphic it can be, what topics are being covered. Um, So they really have a better understanding, and then they can make that decision if they feel that this show would be safe um, for their child to see and that it wouldn't be triggering, especially if they've uh, had a suicide attempt or might be suicidal. Um, The best thing we would say is um, this show is very dangerous. It's not meant for youth. Um, If you do decide that you want your child to, or your child is asking to watch it and you decide you want to go that direction, we would absolutely advocate that you watch it with your child and stop it and kind of address and debunk some of the myths of what this actually might look like in real life mm-hmm. and kind of be able to help identify what resources are if their child is maybe struggling with some of these issues that are being brought up. See, you go to a saying, what does this look like in real life? And if I had kids, I wouldn't be sure what that is. So, I mean, the the, re- the link that they give out, 13reasonswhy.info, is, it sounds like a place to start is, but how would I learn what that is and how do I learn what the warning signs are? Because if I'm concerned about my kid or anybody else in my life, I, I should be paying attention to this. Absolutely. So I will provide a couple of good resources. So the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, AFSP.org, has a really great discussion guide there that can be really helpful to be looking through, as well as tips for parents on how to talk to their kid about some of these large topics. Um, it always is really good to know what some of the warning signs might be for suicide. So um, maybe they're sleeping too much or too little. They could be withdrawing from activities, um, an increase of drug or alcohol use, all things like that that are drastic changes. Um, And then there's additional resources that we can be sharing as well of what to be looking for as a parent. But it is really important that we have this conversation because the show is bringing a lot of awareness to the topic, which is good. We just want to make sure that it's safe messaging and that the correct information is being shared. I mean, how do you start a conversation about that? I mean, obviously, you go to your kid, you say, we love you, you know, we, we love you no matter what happens to you. That's what parents do. But it's, it's, it's a little bit different to say, hey, honey, are you thinking about killing yourself? That's, that's, that's not a, a, a topic that I have over dinner. How, how do you even open that conversation? Absolutely. So I think if you're seeing some signs, it's really sitting down with your child and, you know, saying, hey, you know, how are you doing? How are things going? I've identified this and kind of giving some observations that they've made and kind of just giving them some space to be able to share with you. And maybe it's it's a little bit of silence until they kind of feel comfortable to share some things. But you're right, absolutely. It is so important with language that we ask directly, are you thinking of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? Um, if you don't use those exact words, um, you're not going to get an exact answer. And this might be a conversation that you kind of start off with um, some more gentler approaches. So have you ever thought of going to sleep and never waking up? Starting off with some simple questions, but asking a lot of follow-up questions to really gauge where that person might be feeling if they're feeling suicidal. And if they are, then being able to connect them and say, you know, we're in this together and I want to make sure that you can get better. And treatments really work. 
So let's bring in, you know, a mental health professional or a counselor and we'll have them kind of tell us what's going on. It's really important that parents know that and have additional resources on that. You know, when I was growing up, and this has to be, you know, decades ago in another century, there wasn't really talk of teen suicide. It was, you know, something that didn't happen. I mean, I know it happened. We'll see the statistics. Is it is it something that's happening more? Is there something in society that's enabling it? Or is it just that we're talking about it more? Suicide is a really complex situation, and we can never have an exact reason why. But I will say that it is our second leading cause. Uh, cause of death for youth in the state of Minnesota and 10th leading as a nation. Wow. So it is a really big concern. It's a big public health crisis that everyone has a role that they can play. It really is important that we're fostering hope and being able to provide resources. Um, there has been an increase on things that could be happening, but there are a lot of different reasons for why that might be such a complex topic to kind of be addressing. We're speaking with Kat Ganji. She is the health and wellness programs coordinator with NAMI. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness here in Minnesota. It, we just talked a bunch about a bunch of resources, but you also have a, a crisis text line that you've, uh, a new one that you've just started up, and I want you to tell people about that. Yes, absolutely. So we just recently, as a state, switched to a different crisis text line. Um, you text MN to seven. 41741. This is a great resource. Um, we used to have additional an additional line, but now we are switching to this one right here. It's great for your teens to have this. Uh, in our generation, they're texting instead of calling. Um, it really can make a hit, huge difference and save a life if we are able to get that resource into teens' hands and letting them know they can share that with their friends. So if I, if I were a teen and uh, I texted MN to 741741, what would happen? Um, you would get in contact with a, a suicide prevention advocate, and they would just ask you how are you going, how are things going, and they'll start a conversation with you and make sure that you're safe and you're okay, um, and connect you to any other resources that you might need to kind of help you get through the situation. Wow, that must that must be a a, a job that is nerve wracking to to be talking essentially talking people off the ledge. Have you done something like that, or what? What are the people who do that? I mean, how how do how do they do their jobs every day? Yeah, so I I'm an instructor for some suicide prevention workshops that we do. It can be very challenging at times, but it's also really about connecting with this person mm-hmm. who's going through the biggest pain in their life, and they're unable to share this with someone. So it's really about fostering that hope and support for them, and just really being there and listening and making sure that you can figure out how high a risk is this and really connecting them to mental health professionals um, for them to take over and be able to help assist this individual and get the support they need. Wow. So again, folks, the crisis text line to give to somebody that you think might need it or just for your own use is 741-741 and text MN. And Kat, I I appreciate you sitting down talking about this, uh, you know, very difficult and troubling, but ultimately a topic that we need to talk more about. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And coming up next here on the Mike McEntee Show on AM 950, gridlock at the Capitol. What's likely to happen? We'll take a look at the possibilities next. The Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe is ready for the cold. Serving seasonal dishes using locally sourced ingredients, Minnesota craft beers, and organic wines. Their delicious vegetarian, vegan, and omnivorous menu options are sure to satisfy. New items include the cauliflower po'boy, harvest chili, braised beef tostada, and the pork banh mi, as well as rotating seasonal vegetables and pasta. Sustaining a healthy community, you will find Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe at 2601 East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis and online at coopcreamery.coop. Minnesota is home to the only major institution in North America devoted to Russian art, history, and culture. The Museum of Russian Art, located off 35W on Diamond Lake Road in South Minneapolis, can be your personal connection to extraordinary artists, stories, and context. We offer more exhibitions and events than ever before, from concerts and lectures to vodka tastings and more. Open daily, free parking, and a great group on deal. Find out more at tmora.org. Lowry Hill Meats, your neighborhood full-service butcher shop that works directly with family farms. 
Using whole animals gives Lowry Hill Meats the benefit of preparing custom cuts and dry aging. They offer beef, lamb, goat, pork, and poultry, including whole duck, roasting hens, turkey, quail, pheasant, and Cornish hens. Their sausages are made fresh in-house weekly using 40 rotating recipes. Try their handcrafted sandwiches. They are second to none. Lowry Hill Meats is located at 1934 Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis or online at LowryHillMeats.com. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance company. Companies. Hello, AM 950 listeners. I am Tabitha Montgomery, Executive Director of Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association, taking a moment to extend a very warm invitation to our first annual Powderhorn Shark Tank competition, where our stellar panel of jurors have already selected several dozen amazing ideas from local makers, hustlers, and entrepreneurs from across Minneapolis. So mark your calendars for Saturday, May 19th, between 2.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. at Powderhorn Park Recreation Center, where you can join the fun and cast your vote for your favorite ideas across our expanding, emerging, and startup categories. You can also plan to enjoy the Shark Tank Marketplace, which will be stocked with many local businesses and also connect with a dozen or so business resources in our speed coaching zone if you're also working on your own big idea. See you on Saturday, May 19th. Hi, this is Matt from the Green Home Doctors. Did you know approximately 80% of our homes in our area are not sealed and insulated properly? A typical home has air leakage equivalent to that of a large open window. Green Home Doctors has treated thousands of homes with our special diagnostic equipment and can prescribe the appropriate remedy for your house. Stop air conditioning your whole neighborhood this summer. Call today and take advantage of rebates from Excel Energy and Centerpoint Energy. Visit greenhomedr.com. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show. Lots of things going on in the legislature. It's going to continue to go on this weekend. Governor Mark Dayton, of course, offering condolences today for the Texas school shooting victims. And he's using that to put pressure on Minnesota Republican leaders in the legislature for a standalone school safety bill. Uh, he is also demanding emergency school funding. Republicans say they're they're working on alternative proposals for that, but nobody's really saying if they're making much progress. Now, earlier today, Dayton released a list of 117 objections he has to provisions in House omnibus bills. And he says uh, if these things aren't addressed, there may be a veto waiting for this bill. And if that happens, especially if it happens late in the session, th- the bill might not get passed. The, uh, the, the big bills in the legislature, it's possible that they may not become law. And, you know, that's a big, big question. So if you want to keep up to date on this, I suggest you go over to theuptake.org this weekend where we'll be live streaming everything that's going on. And on top of this, this is going to be it because Governor Mark Dayton reiterated today that he is not going to call a special session. Now, in the race to replace Governor Mark Dayton, because this is his last term in office, he will be leaving after the end of the year. Uh, we have an endorsement today. Uh, Aaron Murphy uh, has picked up the endorsement of St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter. She's picked up the endorsement of ASME, and uh, she's picked up some other union endorsements. Uh, that has been gathering her some momentum here as we head towards the DFL convention, which is on the 1st and 2nd of next month, so we're less than uh, just a couple weeks away from that. Uh, it is going. It is interesting that we have not heard a lot from the Walls campaign in the last couple of weeks with all these endorsements going on. Uh, you know, Representative Walls obviously in Congress, so that may be taking his attention. But the campaign, usually I have a lot of press releases hitting my mailbox. There hasn't been as many, so I'm wondering what's happening over there. If uh, I was chatting with some folks today, um, 
Nick Coleman, by the way, who was our, our executive editor at the uh, the uptake, his uh, funeral was today downtown St. Paul. 500 people showed up, uh, including Governor Mark Dayton, and just about anybody who's anybody. And uh, we got to talking, you know, everybody, of course, starts talking politics, and there seems to be kind of consensus here that the, uh, you know, one, number one, um, you know, Jeff Johnson's going to probably get the uh, the Republican endorsement for uh, governor. But number two, it's think it's thinking that the DFL is probably going to deadlock at the uh, at the at the uh, convention this year, and that uh, we're going to have a three-way race probably in a primary for governor in August. While Tim Pawlenty is challenging Jeff Johnson on the governor's side, on the Republican side, I should say. Uh, one other note here politically, uh, Jason Lewis. Jason Lewis has town halls this week, and he has three of them. Uh, the first uh, first year, first term, I should say, congressman. It's his first real public town halls, despite all the claims he's made that, you know, we have these public town halls all the time. Well, they're not pre-announced, and they're not uh, generally uh, letting a lot of people in. Well, that not letting a lot of people in tradition is continuing. Uh, the space on these things is limited. A lot of folks have been trying to get, uh, you know, invited or have, be accepted to, to be at these things. And a lot of people are posting on Facebook that they're being turned away. Of course, a lot of those folks are part of uh, the indivisible groups that are upset with the way that uh, Jason Lewis is doing his job. And and these are being held in very, very tiny. Uh, one's being held in a coffee shop. These are very tiny little venues. And some of the media is being told they cannot attend either. So... If you are interested in seeing what's going on, you may just have to show up and stand outside, um, and we'll have to listen to see what the uh, the media that does come out is able to say. But whatever is going on in there, it sounds like it's going to be very, very tightly controlled. And uh, finally today, I want to mention something about storytelling. Those who tell their stories the best, and that's, that's what Jason Lewis is trying to do here. That's uh, what every candidate is trying to do. Those that tell their stories the best often win. So if you're looking for help to try to figure out how to tell your story or maybe your group or your organization or your cause is trying to tell your story, maybe you'd like some professional help with that. Maybe you'd like to learn some really good techniques in terms of using text, audio, video, live video, uh, photography, all those types of things. Well, the uptake is having some classes next month in June on Saturdays. But you got to sign up for them now. The, uh, the spaces are filling up very quickly. There's a charge for the classes, but it, it's reduced for students and for people who are you know don't have a lot of money. And so go over to theuptake.org slash classes. That's theuptake.org slash classes. And sign up as quickly as you can because we, we want to get these things full and uh, have, have them set. They're on Saturdays. They're about uh, four hours on a Saturday. So, uh, you know, you, there's a lot of other things you can do on a Saturday. But if you invest in yourself and your organization, this would be a great thing to have. And that's it for today's show. It's Friday. Go have a great weekend. A reminder, we'll be live streaming over at theuptake.org this weekend. So watch us there. And I'll be back here on Monday. Hey, Mom, thanks for listening. <laughs>